Hello, listener. What you're about to hear is a What Are We Do Show patron unlock. This is material which our Patreon supporters have early access to. If you'd like to experience these episodes when they're at their freshest, become a What Are We Do Show patron today at patreon.com slash W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U. Hello, everyone. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs, to Waterway Desho's second stream podcast. It is, as my partner often puts it, our lean, mean fighting machine our meat and potatoes, throw out all the, you know, useless accoutrement and side salads and what have you. No plot summary, no wasting time with the creators who made the anime because who cares about them? It's all about taking their anime and combining it with two other anime and then redubbing it and telling the story differently and putting it on American television for kids and teens in the <laughs> 80s sorry forgive that um i don't know where that came from no no idea at all that's unrelated to anything uh i'm the subtle doctor and along with me uh as usual is the hardest working man in pod business it's shadan oh right right why thank you uh subtle dr holmes i i do believe uh, <laughs> oh sorry dr watson i, I, I i'm too drunk i'm too drunk already it's quite bad <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but yes, we're here today to cover uh, Kabuchiko Sherlock, episode two. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, there's always so long I can put on that accent before. Well, you could argue I always make an idiot myself, but you know I'm just putting extra work in this time. Anyway, how are we all doing, folks? I'm ready to carve in some more of this roast beast, because, um, you know, right, like, we do second stream because we like to, you know, really get into the weeds of stuff, like to talk about themes and ideas and concepts and such. And we're now two for two with Kabuchiko Sherlock. And again, I apologize if I keep mispronouncing that, but God damn it. Like, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm rolling. I'm rolling with the punches on this, basically. Uh... Uh, so here's the thing, right? Like, a lot of what I talked about last time uh, about this show was more like kind of. Cont- conceptual or meta stuff rather than what was really going on inside the show proper uh, apart from obviously you know the questionable content it seems to interesting you know divvying out to us week on week great thanks uh, a lot there'll be more of that by the way in this particular episode thanks a bunch but if nothing else it's serving as a nice object lesson in you know like i get to talk a lot about adaptation and stuff like that and i also will eventually recount the fact that this show reminded me of Darling in the Franks in the most heinous way possible. Uh, well, actually, not really, because there's plenty of heinous <laughs> shit in that show, but something that felt like it was personally attacking me. So, uh, get ready, folks. This this is going to get loud. We, you know, <laughs> we're going to go all in. 
Oh, dear. Um, I really, really enjoyed your reaction to that particular moment. I, should, should we talk about it now, actually, before anything else? Should we just yeah, get it out of the Yeah, I mean, open? it's as good a place as any to start, I guess. So, okay, uh... Let me retell a tale here, folks, because uh, you may very well have only recently joined us after we concluded uh, covering Darling in the Franks, which was, was that only just last year? <laughs> Can you believe it? It was like the first half of 2018, I, th- I, I, I want to say. I, time is just messed up, yeah, honestly. That's, that <laughs> scares me. <laughs> it feels like a million years ago, but yeah, the first half was before we were doing video live streaming so we did darling in the franks as a podcast only and Mm. then when banana fish began in the summer that year we started doing the youtube Mm -hmm. so okay let me relate a tale to you then um in Darling in the Franks, there is a character's name for Toshi, and I apologize if you already know all of this because you've been with us since the beginning, but just so we're all on the same page here. And for Toshi, his character in that show can basically be defined as he eats and is fat. And he's fat because he eats, and he eats because he's fat, and etc. etc. And this is oh, not us doing no. this. This is the way the show frames him and the the show enjoys making fun of him for being overweight and yeah. liking food. He's also an incredibly possessive piece of shit. Yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just thought I'd mention that as well. But then Important. again, like, ev- I think pretty much every single character in that show has a certain, like, you know, crippling character flaw that I don't think is actually intentional. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So there's an episode, and I don't remember which one it is, but... Futoshi and the other, like, male characters in their dormitory are having a discussion about some run-of-the-mill stuff that I don't remember, and even if it was important, I probably didn't care about because that was the show. Uh, And Futoshi is coming down from the ups... Up, you know, the top bunk that he sleeps in. And as he's coming down from there, he's carrying a loaf of bread in his hands. Now, here's the thing that I find incredible about that. It's not commented on by any single person like in the show who's there with him. No one says, Fatoshi, why is there a, why did you have a loaf of bread in your bed? In your bed? Why did you have that there? What is going on? Like, is it, like, I, it was such a, it was just such a what the fuck moment. Like, I didn't know if it was meant to be a joke because no one brought attention to it. So it's clearly a bit of background detail. Yeah, but it's just I mean, there. It's in the if, front and center of the frame. If it was like a Futoshi, he'd look at that guy, look at him eating all the, the, he would be like, he would wake up and have crumbs all over his face. But no, it's just an uneaten loaf of bread that he sleeps next to. Yeah, or sleeps with, as me and James Beckett speculated. Yes. <laughs> Dochan. <laughs> yeah, good old Dochan. So yeah, that was like one of the most surreal and bizarre moments in anime that I've ever seen because I cannot for the life of me understand its inclusion or any element behind it other than that just ties into the idea that Futoshi eats and so he eats in bed. But I I don't know. Like, I really, really wish someday that I could ask like Nishigori whoever wrote that particular moment, Why? <laughs> and also, and also, how much MDMA they were taking at the time. <laughs> right. Um, so, okay, here's me. Right, you know, I I live a, a life pretty much of complete naivety, as I've learned m- very recently and throughout m- many of my years on this earth. So, I watched that scene 
I had the reaction I just basically put across now and perhaps a little more visceral because it was a thing that happened at the time. And then I thought to myself afterwards, well, that's it. I'm never going to see anything quite like this again in my entire life watching anime. That's like, you can't really get more strange than that. And well, you know, on this day of our Lord's Earth, the 22nd of October, 2019, once again, (laughs) I hold my hands up, prostrate myself before fate and say, I have been humbled and I am wrong. Because Kabuchiko Sherlock, for all that's already done in only two episodes, has reminded me, has given me the Fatoshi bread moment. Because inexplicably, in this episode where Sherlock is bedridden with his leg injury, uh, he has a giant fish there with him. It, like, what the fuck? It, it's not a plush as far as I can tell. <laughs> no. I, it looks like the real thing and like it's been half eaten. And I'm like, okay, you've already established that Sherlock's an eccentric because of the fact that he eats oranges out of a tin in like, you know, with a ma- mix of cereal and milk or some random nonsense like, oh, check how kooky he is. But, you know, check you, you, you don't need to like, you know, do any more. I received it like, you know, 10-4, Kabuchiko Sherlock. I got you. I, I understood. And that detail again is similarly completely uncommented on. It's just there in the frame and no one says a damn thing about it. Watson makes no comment, nor the lady who was selling, like, you know, the veggie man, whatever crap it was, you know, the soiling green of this show, I suppose. Like, no one... No one says anything. And I'm just like... <laughs> just, and on top of that, on top of that, I didn't actually spot this. I didn't actually spot this. Until I rewatched the episode in preparation for this podcast, it completely flew me by the first time. And yeah, me too. Do- and, I didn't notice it either. And uh, Doc is now uh, pointing out uh, the giant tuna fish from <laughs> Sorry, from from Robotech from Macross. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, the space, space tuna. <laughs> space tuna. <laughs> Just made yeah. me think of it. Yeah. Oh, so, um, yeah. Thanks, Sherlock. Um, I. I really, you know, needed to have that great sense of existential ennui, you know, again, where I watched something that I don't even think was made by aliens, but just came out of a black hole in, like, you know, some sort of strange cosmic coincidence or, like, you know, aberration. Like, is this, like, proof that, that Sherlock is actually al- algorithmically generated and instead of being hand animated? You know what, right? I actually would completely buy if this show was just, like, you know, the result, like, the bastard child of two, like, Google copyright bucks shagging each other. If I really, really would. Like, there's Sherlock out there in an anime of, oh, fuck, oh, God, we've created this spawn of Satan. Like, I... I, I we got Rakugo, we got Sherlock, we have drag queens, we have uh, urban fantasy setting, This is the we worst. have a fish. Yeah, this is the worst, like, you know, episode of Will It Blend Ever, because the after result, like, is just <laughs> very questionable. So, yeah, um, and I suppose I could really just end the podcast now, and I mean the actual podcast entirely, because that's it. There's no going back from this. I've seen the fish of God in this episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is there is no recovery. Like, we're done. Like, oh my gosh. Fatoshi once, shame on me. Fatoshi twice. Oh, good God. 
I mean, it's truly bizarre, and I hope that they bring it back every episode, and also have like the cast refuse to acknowledge it, even Watson. It'd be I'm spectacular. I'm willing to bet you. <clears throat> I'm willing to bet you we'll see nothing more of it ever again. No, like, <laughs> I, I come on, Doc. You know this. You know this to be true. That's like one of the two or three good things that was in this episode that I really uh, latched onto. <laughs> th- there's there's some good stuff to this episode, in my opinion. Although I get the impression that some of it was kind of like just the products of good fortune, like or or some or rather some of the stuff that is goodness is also sharing space with stuff that I really don't care for, like in the same frame, uh, which we will get to soon enough. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, you could actually probably just turn off the podcast now if you want, because like that's like me, like you know, basically having my mind just fried by this episode, like going through the Stargate in two thousand and one. But hey, there we are. Uh, anyway, I'll pass the uh, baton over to you, Doc. Uh, what have we got to talk about? Well, gosh, that was a really fun place that we started. Um, yeah, and now it's all downhill from here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh boy. Well. I guess I can start with big picture, right? And then we can drill down into smaller things. Um, I think, um, despite this episode in many ways just kind of existing, like, it's just sort of there. It's a total, like, it's a a popcorn kernel. Just a a chip, a crisp. I'm sorry. I didn't, yes, I'm. We're talking to a Briton here, so we have to crisp, a crisp, just a, <laughs> a puff of air. Just you bite it, and it's gone. And there was, it's like you consumed air. It's nothing. It's Total... also full of monosaturated and unsaturated trans fat. Yeah, okay, that too. Um, but actually, in this case, I don't know. Well, yeah, know what? You know what? Yes, it has harmful things in there. Um, why, it was fun while you're eating it, and then. It's not a memorable thing. Um, yeah, I, I there's not a lot. I think I mentioned this last week. There's not a lot thematically here for us. Um, there's not too much in terms of character growth. We get a little bit uh, of hints of it with Moriarty. Mm-hmm. Not even real, actual, measurable growth, but I think just hints. And, um, well, I was going to say, I hope Moriarty shows some measurable gro- growth soon because, like, he's a tiny kid, you know? He's got to have that growth spurt eventually. <laughs> no, that's it. He's He is finished. He will forever be small. Oh, small dear. James. Oh, dear. Um, But, like, my notes are really just full of, like, little sort of incidental items. I mean, some of them I can't even call moments, just, like, choices, stylistic choices. That I'm like, ah, that made me smile, or this made me laugh, um, or this was super um, unnecessary and uh, weird and kind of annoying. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. It, you know, there was a mystery here, uh, as is every episode, of course. But what I mean to say is, um, there was a mystery here that, looking back at it we the the viewer can't quite solve um given the information at hand that we that the audience knows there 
there's some stuff there you could argue, like you could make connections if you were quite careful. But um, boy, you'd have to be really, really smart to put them together in the right way. And I still don't think that there, even if you guessed right about everything, I still don't think there's enough there for you to solve the mystery by yourself. Sherlock really does sort of, you know, at the end of the episode get to be like, well, here's how I solved it in a way that only I could because you you can't you can't do that. Mhm. Um <clears throat> well, this I I should elaborate. First thing to note is that this story is actually an adaptation of a specific home story, much like the first one was the Study sure. in Scarlet. This one is based on the Red-Headed League and it features a similarly preposterous setup in which like there is a shop owner who is told, "Oh, you you know, there's a competition for redheads. Maybe you should go here." for, like, the day and go audition, while, of course, the person who tells him to do that, the part-time worker, uses it to, like, you know, rob next the next-door premises. So, you know, I was watching this the first time round, and I thought, this entire premise of, like, you know, the moles under the eyes, like, you know, idol show, <laughs> like, this is complete and utterly, like, ridiculous. You'd have to be really, yeah. really daft to believe this for a second, but... I can't actually. Like, um, a I lupin can, caper. <laughs> it really did, I, but I can't criticize the, the episode on that basis because it is basically a Japanese affectation of that existing Arthur Conan Doyle story. So fair play. I'll not complain about that. What I will complain about, though, is as you say, how the events are like set up and the clues that we are given. Now, to the show's credit, there are certain things that are established ahead of time, like for example, the bank being robbed earlier on with the mm-hmm. hole in the wall. So there's that, uh, and also <coughs> certain hints like about the person, you know, Sayori being a part timer, uh, and also like you know the stuff on her uh, apron. Yeah, But there's one specific thing I should note that I did find really, really irritating. And this is not just a problem with, like, you know, well, how would we have ever known? But it wasn't even, like, you know, shown in the episode. It violates that classic principle of show, don't tell. So Holmes rightly, you know, look, like, you know, starts questioning Sayori on, like, you know, is there a particular plant here? And she says, I, I don't know. Maybe they're sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, and... When we get the later Rakugo scene where he is, of course, like recounting the things that he's seen, he points out that they're winter flowers, so they shouldn't be out, you know, out of stock. And were I writing this episode, I would have completely scrubbed that line and I would have replaced it with a visual of him actually seeing the flower that he knows is there and knows what it is, like maybe right next to her and she doesn't know what it is. Completely. Like, show, don't tell. This is the problem, right? They have the key beats and notes coming in here, like, for the mystery story. And it's so close to giving you the clues that you need to solve this. I mean, granted, unless you're maybe, I don't know, Emily Rand, uh, you probably have no idea what the flower is. I will be (laughs) fair here. Um, Shout out to Emily, by the way. I hope she's not watching this show because it's... Anyway. Yeah, I don't think Um, she would. (laughs) Okay. So, okay, fair play on that particular point. Maybe a bit too technical. But... Nonetheless, you could then maybe have a thing where, you know, Holmes, like, looks really closely at the label, and it says that. And even if you then don't know anything about flowers, you can then put two and two together Mm -hmm. and be like, wait a minute, she says it's out of stock, but it's right there. Huh. And maybe also have, you know, like, a background detail of maybe, you know, the sledgehammer. Have it, like, in the distance where you can't see it, like, maybe like the fish. I mean, come on, if you're willing to put the fish in there as a background element people might not notice. Maybe you want to try doing that with the actual clues to the case? 
Just saying. So, yeah, like, you yourself, Doc, said that you're not really a big fan of mystery stories, and that's to each their own. But even you appreciate that, like, the key behind a good mystery story... In fact, there's two keys to a good mystery story. The first one is, as you say, the fact that there needs to be, a, like, a thread that the audience can follow along in their own time. And it needs to be of that just right nature where it's not so obtuse that they would never know about it. It needs to, you know, not follow the kind of, like, point-and-click adventure game logic where you have to, like, do some crazy combination of items to make things make sense. Um, but conversely, it also needs to be obscure enough that they don't figure it out within two seconds. Like, oh, I know who the killer is immediately. And that could be something that could be betrayed by the writing and the framing if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um... And unfortunately, this particular episode leans too much because of its faulty, like, framing and, like, you know, editing and the way it decides to tell stories. Uh, Sorry, tell its story uh, towards the obtuse end of things a bit too much. It's close, though, and I'm hoping that they find their footing with the latest stuff. Doesn't mean they can't. um, Are we told in the beginning that the gold is pilfered through a hole in the wall? I think it's mentioned that one of the banks is robbed. Uh, like, this is one of the earliest things that happens in the episode. Like, because the Cobra guy, who, by the way, is apparently a reference to Space... Was it Space Commander Cobra? I can't remember. Space Adventure Cobra. Space um, Adventure Cobra. Yeah, yeah, like, who has a Cobra glove over a hand because... So, like... <laughs> it's So, Cobra, Space Adventure Cobra, the... So, it was a manga in... I believe the manga was in the 1970s. But the the movie uh, and the TV series were in the early '80s, and both were directed by uh, a favorite of mine, Osamu Dezaki. And Cobra is like a really like uh, Justin Savakis describes him as a good bloke. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice. He, yeah, he's a sort of devil may care uh, kind of thief. Um, vigilant well vigilante is not the right word but he's just kind of going and doing whatever the fuck he wants to in space he's like a a, imagine if the bebop were it was just a person and it It sounds like classic flash gone adventure serials that kind of thing kind of yeah yeah um, and he has like um he has an arm that uh is a gun and um, he's gun it's great yeah and so you have Cobra here being the criminal um, who has a gun arm, kind of. It's like a gun he holds in his hand, but it's like inside of a snake mouth, which is, I guess, it is a, a sort of really loose way to reference uh, the gun arm of, uh, of Cobra from Space Adventure Cobra. It's um, unusual. I will give it that yeah. much. Um <laughs> So that is also a thing in this uh, adaptation of a classic uh, Conan Doyle story. I'm just trying to imagine what his reaction would have been if he'd have been told, oh yeah, uh, in over a hundred years time, your like, you know, your literary iconoclast is going to be adapted into this thing where it's also blended with a classic Japanese anime where there's a guy with a gun held by a snake glove. I'm, I, I wonder <laughs> what his reaction might have been. Okay, uh, so normally I wouldn't spend the, this kind of time and go as hard in as I'm about to go Uh-oh. talking about something that is not the thing we're covering. But I don't, partic- I don't particularly like the thing we're covering, so I'm just going to do this. Um, if you 
like film. Period. Watch the Space Adventure Cobra movie, the anime movie from the early 80s. It is, it may still be unmatched in anime in terms of like the director taking just risks cinematically. Um, the plot and stuff like that is like, is fine. It's, it's, a typical sort of what you were talking about but the shots the the ambiance the atmosphere the music the colors it is such a bold and daring movie like the what Dazaki did with the material is like amazing now like any good uh 70s pulp science fiction there are a lot of naked ladies in it so if you're not enjoying <laughs> naked ladies, then um, you could take a, a pass. But if you're okay with the naked ladies, um, then and you and you like uh, you know roguish pirate adventure uh, in space, and you like just directors going, you know what? There's no reason at all for me to do this kind of shot, but fuck it, I'm doing this shot. And you like looking at like. 70s prog rock 80s prog rock album covers and you're like what if they made a whole anime like this space adventure cobra the movie it's fucking great ah excellent um on on, on a completely unrelated note doc i need to take an hour and a half break are you okay with me doing that <laughs> i am yes please do <laughs> uh no 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 um i'm not gonna do that all right so I'm going to move on now and actually talk more about the elements from the Sherlock mythos that have actually made it over to this show because there's actually quite a few of them that I kind of recognized at first but then had to like go and look up to confirm. So first off, uh, let's talk about the Irregulars, specifically the Kabuchiko Irregulars. Yeah. Uh, they are actually, um, in the original uh, Holmes works uh, by Conan Doyle, uh, the Baker Street Irregulars were a gang of children that oh, interesting. Um, that Holmes uses his kind of like informant network, like street children, you know? So mm -hmm. they do exist, and they've been brought over similarly here as well. So say what you will about the questionable execution of certain parts of this show. Whoever has actually decided to do this knows their Holmes mythos and is bringing the elements over. Although I will ask that you bear in mind, they're bringing them over... But what are they ultimately choosing to do with them? Just keep that in your head for a little bit. Um, so that's certainly the thing. We've also had Lestrade mentioned before. He hasn't. He doesn't actually appear in this episode, presumably because he finally got round to you know realizing, oh shit, my sister's dead. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Uh, Moriarty is also explicitly confirmed. And mm -hmm. here's the thing, right? <laughs> I joked about this previously because we kind of half speculated that it was Moriarty, but now it's official. Why is he like a 12-year-old boy in this? Hmm. Well, I don't why is Mary Watson a uh, we'll, crooked we'll, detective? <laughs> we'll get, I'll get to Mary in a moment. She's the one I spend, want to spend the yeah. most time talking about, actually. But like, here's the thing, right? Moriarty is like a criminal mastermind in the uh, in the rituals, and certainly I'm not going to pretend like you know we can't have a criminal child genius doing stuff like that. Why the hell not? But I again must say, like all I can think of now is Sherlock just having like a fight with Moriarty in this canon over the Reichenbach Falls or whatever they choose to insert as their replacement for that, and. I can't imagine this show trying to play straight Sherlock beating up a 12-year-old boy. 
like, and throwing him off a waterfall so he's deaf. Maybe they would just uh, <laughs> tell sophomoric, you know, sort of misogynistic jokes to each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe Moriarty jumps on his back and starts punching him in the head and that's causes him to fall off. I don't know. I, but, like, this is the thing, like, when you when you know or are that familiar with a property that you will bring in its characters, like, wholesale, including, like, the smaller elements such as the Irregulars, mm-hmm. you might also want to consider the optics of how your adaptation will then read to people and what they anticipate. Because, you know, in other Sherlock media, Moriarty is such a massive deal to every, like to everyone. Like even though he's he, only in a book, you know, he's like in two. he said, uh... he's in two with, Ad- same right. with Adler. Yeah, but like home, the Holmes mythos has suffered this kind of like bloated expansion, like where the characters get significantly more importance than Arthur Conan Doyle himself afforded them. And so, you know, even if you have only a passing familiarity, you think Moriarty's a big deal, and in turn, you know what's coming because of his inclusion. Like, the spoilers are already there. Sure. You know, so, if I'm supposed to be looking forward to this show's equivalent of the Reichenbach Falls fight, I can't, because I can't help but get out of my head the hilarity of Holmes throwing a 12-year-old boy off a waterfall. It it doesn't work. (laughs) It really doesn't work. Well, didn't you say last week that that was okay, that, you know, you could take and leave whatever you wanted and maybe even kind of reshuffle different yeah, oh, elements? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I am still of the opinion, I'll be getting signed a bit with Mary uh, in one way specifically, not all of them, I can assure you that much. Uh, I am still of the opinion that I would rather you use the existing elements that you bring over from, like, a work such as this, or say things like Dracula or Frankenstein, you know, like, the classics from that period, which are so ubiquitous and so well-known. Like, I, you bring them over and you make the changes you need to tell a good story. Here's my problem. Uh, I thus far have no clue why certain characters are in this show at all. Like, is Moriarty... Because all Moriarty to me seems to exist for, to be there for at the moment is just, hey, here's a character you know. Yeah, but, right, here's a name. But but the problem with that is, I know the character, I know his eventual fate, and again, put it in your head here, folks, just imagine with me if, for a minute, if you will, of Sherlock just literally punting a small boy off a waterfall. That's meant to be, like, the big climax to their conflicts, which ends up with both of them dead, at least until Doyle decided that he got sick of people writing in saying, bring Sherlock back, and decided to, you know, invent the retcon and destroy continuity forever. Thanks, Conan Doyle. You're responsible for shit like one more day. Well done. (laughs) Well fucking done. Marvel Comics. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Um, So, the, the, the vibe I get from, especially the scene in which Moriarty is looking at the third of his three four-leaf clovers he has in his student planner, um, is that he is trying to... He's playing some kind of long game. He's trying to orchestrate the chess pieces he wants to move around into place is the vibe I get knowing what I know about Moriarty and seeing that kind of interaction he's doing with his clovers and the way he kind of can go in and out of Sherlock's life at will. Perhaps Sherlock is, uh, perhaps he even knows that Moriarty's doing this and he's playing along to see where it goes. But yeah, I think, um, I, I think more, there will be more to come and I think he's planning something. You know, he's in the OP, 
we see like his silhouette like emerging from Sherlock's silhouette or something like that with kind of a sort of a evilish expression, like a kind of a wicked smile. Um, mm. So yeah, I think that there's more to come from him and and hopefully it will all connect and it will all feel like, you know, it, it won't feel like out of the blue, he just did it. We'll be able to kind of pick up hints here and there over time that it's leading yeah. to something. It'll be it'll be worthwhile having him there. Yeah, there'll be um, some because, kind of payoff to all Because this. if I may offer a counter example uh, to this of how you use Moriarty in a way that's not part of the canon, let's talk about Star Trek for a second. Yes, really, oh, I'm goody. going there. So in The Next Generation, uh, Data plays, um, he goes to the holodeck and he plays the role of Sherlock Holmes in recreations of certain Sherlock Holmes stories. And in a mishap with the holodeck, Moriarty is brought to life as a sentient hologram. Oops. <laughs> oh, you know, no. like there, there was that guy <laughs> who said, like, you know, the holodeck would be the last great human invention. If Star Trek is anything to go by, it's because it's going to end up killing us all because <laughs> yeah. we're just too stupid to use it properly. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Joke as I might, the stories involving Moriarty on um, Next Generation, of which there were two, uh, were about him, like, you know, coming to terms with his, like, you know, creation uh, and becoming a real person hologram notwithstanding, but someone with sentience and free will, certainly, versus his fictional-like origins and wishing to, you know, be set free to wander the universe. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff, like, you know, of how we've got to be careful about what we do when we accidentally create life and what our responsibilities are. And yes, certainly there is some skepticism as to, you know, who he is based on his nature, like, and his fictional origins. But at the same time, he just simply says, I've left that behind. I'd rather just you know, put my great mind to exploring the, this wondrous universe that's before me of all this modern technology. It's really good. It's excellent stuff. It's like what Trek does best, which is it takes a good, like you know, a sci-fi concept and examines the impact it has on people and the ethical and moral, moral questions thereof. So you can do something like take a, a very well-established character like Moriarty and take him in a completely different direction and still do great things with him. So that exists. That's out there. Mm-hmm. what he's doing in this particular show as a 12 year old I have no clue because again I must stress like in those two episodes of Star Trek it was established quite quickly that the theme was I could well he says himself cogito ergo sum I think therefore I am that was like pretty clear from the outgo Moriarty at the moment seems to be here just because he's part of the Sherlock mythos but also inexplicably he's 12 years old although hilariously I have a theory on that which will tie into our patron question in a bit when we get to those uh, so buckle up for that because I'm going to be going into my like you know unified Franks theory shit again nice one. Oh, we, we love those don't we <laughs> um, so that just then leads me now to talk about the final character and the one that I find the most interesting and also arguably the most disappointing uh, let's talk about Mary Monston, I believe it is. In fact, mm. so let me just talk one, one of the one of the three three new characters that get introduced this episode. Yes, uh, Mary Morstan. So I speculated previously that Mary, as we enter in, like that was going to be Mary at the that we see at the end of episode one. It turns out I was right, uh, and and according to Wikipedia, Mary Morstan like is her maiden name before she marries Watson. And well, if you're carrying over the full name and such. That seems pretty explicit to me. And I will note, by the way, if you think that, like, you know, it's just a coincidence that the name's in there, like, there's some actual framing where the she and Watson, like, in that admittedly quite amusing moment where, like, um, I forget her name, Fujiko says that, 
oh, I want to be an idol, and you get it like this like four way <laughs> cut of all of the characters in the room like with their various reactions, including Sherlock's like whatever, uh, which was right. quite funny. I will credit the show this like that was good. That was quite amusing. There's but some no- funny stuff this episode, straight up. Yeah, there is some legitimately good crafted humor here, especially with that contrast. But note that Mary and Watson are framed in the same panel in that. And, you know, she's, like, stood next to him at various places. Like, the framing is already hinting at this. It's not simply that her name has just been ported over wholesale. Like, they're actually, you know, hinting towards a future relationship. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there's that. I-, I will mention here that I've actually currently got uh, on my screen, or one of them, uh, Mary's entry on Wikipedia... And I'm going to read the web address, or rather the last part of the web address out for you here. It goes something like this. Minor underscore Sherlock underscore Holmes underscore characters. Hashtag Mary Morstan. Because that's the basically the role she occupied in the original works. She was Watson's wife and served a minimal purpose in the books, basically. Like, the ones I've read uh, where Watson, like, speaks to, like, is there's not... She doesn't have any direct involvement, really. She's no. just a part of his life. And you know what? For the time... That's fine. I'm not going to, you know, wax lyrical on how, you know, like maybe she should have had more involvement considering the books were written in the 1800s. I'm not that naive. So why am I bringing up her relative, like, you know, insignificance there versus how she is now? Because I'm not going to lie here. I actually really like her character, and I'm saying character specifically here, as presented in this show where she is actually a full-blown detective. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's clearly got a lot of initiative about her. She's very willing to push Watson's buttons to get what she wants. I think this is quite a good take on her as far as the character goes, because the design is really trying way too hard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, um. like when when the, you know, you get the opening moment of her being introduced with her name title and it just does that classic like, oh, we're going to start the camera angle like about 50 degrees down and pan up. And I'm like, well, you've basically just told me, uh, creators of this show, why she is designed the way she is. It's not got anything to do with, like, you know, her as a character or anything like that. It's purely there for the fan service. Now, I'll grant you, it's not Shield Hero level bad, where she was also talking while this happened, so it looked like she was literally talking out of her never regions. Thank you very much for at least that concession, Kabuchiko Sherlock. Phantom. <laughs> yep, that too as well, actually. I completely forgot the talking about that. talking boobs. <laughs> Great. I love that shit. I really do. <clears throat> it's good stuff. It's good because it's just because if ever you want to know not to take a female character seriously, then you only need to look at how the actual creators feel about them when they do shit like that. But nonetheless, I appreciate how she's been presented thus far in the show, and that she's actually got something to do, and she's you know got her own ways of doing it, like bugging Watson's outfit. Like you know, there's there's some good stuff going on here. I I think that that's quite refreshing and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I will grant you also that I think Watson is completely and utterly worthless in this show, given how he acts in this episode. He really sucks again. Just... Yeah, like, he knows Mary's there, and, like, <laughs> you know, oh, uh, maybe don't let anyone in, Sherlock says. Ding dong, and, immediately. And, and, <laughs> Johnny. And, Watson, and Watson, you know, like, I would say that all the blood left his brain and went to a certain other place in his body, but I, I would presume that he either yeah. has a brain or enough blood up in there in the first place. So maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Yeah, so, I don't really have much sympathy for him thus far. I will say no. that. So I I hear what you're saying about Mary. I don't even mind the design. I think she's cute. Um, but like, so there's like an added layer that didn't really hit me until later. Um, it didn't really cross my mind that 
either the show is going to joke about her being underage or that she is straight up underage. Because mm-hmm. um, when Sherlock later on calls Watson a smooth brain and then a lollicon, and he was referring to Watson as someone who was digging on an underage girl, which I didn't pick up on um, initially. I genuinely didn't read it that way. Um, but then again, I could be wrong. I mean, given like the way this show has presented itself thus far and the general sensitivity and maturity it's treated its various topics, like... It could, oh yeah. It could also be. I mean, you don't need to be an ace, you know, ye olde English detective to, you know, get the faint sense of yikes from this. Uh, I hope that it's wrong, um, but we'll see. Uh, oh dear. But yeah, I, I otherwise, like I say, I like the fact that they, you know, giving us something to do rather than just how she was in the originals, which is just that well, she was there. Again, not to criticise the originals so much because I appreciate them as a product of their time. Um, I'd also be remiss in mentioning that the fact that Adler actually gets one over on Sherlock was actually ridiculously progressive for that particular era. So good on Mm -hmm. Doyle for doing that, at least. Uh, Although God knows what Adler's going to look like if she ever turns up in this particular iteration. Oh, God. Oh, man. (laughs) I can't even begin to speculate. I mean, I will also say this. So, like, if people, like, you know, want to say to me, hey, you know what, Shad's like... I see where you're coming from, but come on, really? You're gonna you're gonna be on board with this interpretation of Mary Watson as like you know this uh, scheming, you know, like uh, sly and cunning, like detective lady who also looks like she's straight out of High School Musical. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> my response to that would be this, right? And this is one of the things I think Capuccio Sherlock has given me, which I can now always present to everyone else who like says to me that anime is bad because it's got all of the tropes hallmarks and like stereotypes behind it things like ted skulls and shit like that like if you want my opinion on anime in general versus all like other live action material like east west uh regular west animation you name it there's plenty of fucks up shit out there in everything if you want to pick if you want to pick on anime like for having some fucks up shit on it then well guess what i'll agree with you but you know that's the case with everything there's so much stupid crap out there and the thing is, right, this interpretation of Mary, like, let's compare her to the interpretation of Mary in that show I mentioned last time, the Steve Moffat Sherlock, where it turned out she Goody. was also a secret, like, you know, international assassin lady. You know, again, a character who barely existed in the original got turned into something ridiculous like that. So, I'm sorry, but if you're going to criticise, like, you know, this is not being faithful to the original or being too out there that she's, like, a detective, a- apparently... Stephen Moffat, like, he thought, well, hey, I could make her a detective and have her do that. Or I could just have her, you know, travel the Middle East and start shooting up, you know, Arabian people. Why not? Let's not hold him up as some kind of authority in the field of Sherlock. (laughs) Well, the BBC certainly felt so. And they probably have more right than anyone to put put someone in charge of, like, one of the most beloved British characters ever conceived in, like, you know, Western fiction. Whoops. The Beeb did an oopsie. Well, that's the B for you, unfortunately. I mean, the rhymes are something that they often find themselves being, so there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I actually like Mary as presented here. Um, but now, unfortunately, I'm going to segue from her to talk about the other thing that they decided to put in that wasn't in the original. And Her sister? Here's the thing. I don't mind Mary having a sister. I don't mind Mary having an androgynous, like, male-looking sister. I just mind that it's this show doing it. 
because I don't trust them. <laughs> no, no, I know. And that, and that is especially true given Watson's reaction at the end. Like, I couldn't pass if his reaction was, oh my God, this is really a girl, or oh my God, she's about to beat the shit out of me. Because bear in mind, like, Watson's reaction to all of the queer characters in the show thus far has been to look at him like he's just seen roadkill. Exactly. This yeah. is, if, if this pair were in a different anime or in just different hands, or even if they were different characters in another show, like with the same designs and stuff, I'd be like all on board. But like you said, it's in Kabuki Cho Sherlock, and it's it feels like here's another character who is not a cishet that we can sort of present as like weird, strange, off, comedic purposes only kind of character haha let's laugh at them and not take them seriously at all and laugh at them particularly for this idea of being a sister loving detective which i think is what the subtitle read you would be right Uh, and if you think that it's just the case of the script that that backs this idea up let's talk about structure and let's also talk about the op the scene in which this happens is the last scene we see in the episode, not counting the post-credits where we meet Moriarty. And in my opinion, that basically makes no difference. Like, it is still the last thing that we see, like, before we come down from, like, being engaged with it to just then come back. So it has that importance about it. Like, you tend to leave, you know, important events for the end of episodes, like, you know, to have that lingering effect, you, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't just put it in, like, in stuff like that in the middle. So... Clearly, the creators thought that it was important that they put at the end of the episode this joke at Watson's expense, quote-unquote, of, oh my god, this, you know, this lady who actually looks like a guy is about to beat him up, and oh no, isn't that kooky? Isn't that strange and funny and witty, and oh my god, I can feel the revolver going down my throat. Ugh. Seriously? I have what looks like a photoshopped smile on my face. It's incredibly forced. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then let's talk about the OP. Like, the OP, <laughs> I like, quote-unquote, but... Sure. But with, you know, I also have to point out that, like, we're going to get the recurring gag now of Mrs. Hudson trying to kiss Watson and violating his personal space every week. So if you thought that was a one-off, no, this is a very explicit part of the show now that they are happy to show you week on week and therefore codifies as being part of what the show is about. Because I would argue an OP should tell you what a show is about. So if that's a part of it, then that's what they were intentionally putting in there and want to put out week on week. Thanks a fucking bunch for that. Real nice. Can you, you add yeah, you, I mean, you had my your... head is on my desk. Yeah, I don't know if you can still hear me, but my head is on my desk. You do sound like you're in a great amount of pain. I'm far away from the microphone because my head, I can't get it off the desk. Mm-hmm. I face planted that hard. Well, that's exactly what the writers did when they were, you know, typing up this piece of shit. Uh, so <sighs> that bothers me. Like, and again, it bothers me because. Not just because it's, you know, transphobic and queer folk, but I don't get why it's here. Like, aren't you supposed to be celebrating, like, the vibrancy of Kabuki-cho? If you are, why are you portraying, like, the various characters inside of it as, you know, things to be mocked or belittled? Yeah. What, what, are you, what is your goal here? Like, I don't Make get you it. you feel good as a viewer because you get to judge all these weirdos. I guess is the, like, implication... I- I don't know. 
I, you know, and then there's all this business about like um, the wall. Right? Oh, like great. maybe that like figures Man. into it somehow. <laughs> like as someone who went to Berlin recently, how timely is it for me to get a reminder of that lovely little part of Western history? Great, yeah. brilliant. Oh, yeah. So fuck. we're and we're on the east side. Uh, the K- Kabuki chose on the east. Is is Mrs. The... Hudson is Mrs. Hudson gonna go up and say tear this wall down? <laughs> Mr. Moriarty, tear down that wall. Uh, like, and he's just there with a tiny little chisel. Like, I'm doing it. I'm chink, doing it. <laughs> Give me a minute. Um, and Watson's like slapping it with a fish. Um, yeah, it makes sense to me. Or no, Sherlock would be doing that. I don't know. But fucking man. So the idea. It, tell me if I'm right about this. Stop me if if I'm incorrect. But it seems like the East side of the wall where kabukicho is is uh more impoverished and mm-hmm. the west is more affluent and if that, if that seen, is the case seen as more sort of posh by the east right well if that's the case then maybe the show might once present it like that because if you showed me scenes of like kabukicho apart from obviously the neon bits and the pink elephant and without context and said where would you place this in a city i'd probably say it's like you know reasonably well off yeah it doesn't doesn't like look destitute or like um inferior i don't know maybe the split regular regular city yeah maybe like the split is not an economic one although like i can't so watson said he just moved to the west and i forget who said it it was like ah west the westerners are soft or something like that so i don't really I, i don't think anyone understands at this point the nature of that divide um, I don't know, maybe that plays into how they're presenting Kabukicho. But still, up to this point, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you've, you've highlighted this real-life location as um, somewhere where there's just this collection of people that we can all judge. Mm-hmm. Great. Like, that's not how I'd like to spend my 22 minutes. You know yeah. what I mean? I, and like I said before, I can see an alternate take on this where you spin that on its head and you actually have great sympathy for the people who are there because the regular forces of law and order are usually against them, which it would make sense then as to why they would have private detectives that they would finance to solve their crimes for them. Call me crazy, but like I can see that framework being right there. And I know it's I've know I've done this many times before on this podcast, so I should probably quit it. I know it's arrogant of me to presume that I know better, but it's literally right there. And I don't I just don't understand it. Like I don't get what the show is trying to accomplish at this point. Is it meant to be a full-blown comedy? If it is, it's got some serious tonal issues, and some of the jokes mm-hmm. just fall flat, even those that aren't, you know, coded like as queer or transphobic. Uh, is it meant yeah. to be a murder mystery? Well, Jack, Jack the Ripper is not even mentioned in this episode. This is the second one. You'd figure this would be a time in which, you know, he would at least get some mention again to start building towards us dealing with him. But, well, if I watched this episode and you said, oh, yeah, Jack the Ripper's in this, I'd be like, really? Well, that's okay. Uh, just to be fair to it, I mean, they, they can leave it and come back. It was as episodic as these stories are, like, um, so... I have the second time I'll reference this show, uh, Cowboy Bebop, right? Like, uh, we didn't really get kind of a furthering of the plot of 
Spike, Vicious, and the Syndicate they were a part of, like maybe every fifth episode. And yeah. then four leading up to it, it, it just wouldn't be about that. It would just be about the other characters doing stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't I, want to kill it for that. I would agree. Uh, and I would also make a comparison, uh, as you did, uh, not just Cowboy Bebop, but also to the Ghost in the Shell uh, standalone complex series. Yeah. Because that yeah. had a very similar idea where you had like the uh, complex episodes, which are the ones on the larger storyline, versus right. the individual ones. Uh, so you're right. That is certainly a thing. With two episodes in, though, Jack has not been met, seen on once nor was actually if any of his murders been seen once the one we saw was a copycat uh so i would argue that if you want to get like you know people caring about it, you need to do that early and then let it simmer in the background then bring it back up again thus far we've had the thinnest of depictions that jack is even there if no, anything you're right. you're right. if any if anything i think the show might be a bit confused on what it wants to put emphasis on because it's like you know uh He's Moriarty, and Moriarty's usually the villain show, but we also have Jack the Ripper, so... <laughs> uh, oh, and by the way, if Moriarty turns out to be Jack the Ripper, I will quit this show, because... For... <laughs> no, I will, and I'll tell you why, because first off, it's the lamest, it's the lamest, stupidest twist one could do, but also it then brings up the fact that, bear in mind what Jack has been doing to the women he's been killing, and this is a 12-year-old boy. Great. No, that's, that is my breaking point on this. And I will I'm leave like, that out there to hang. To, I'm trying to hold in my laughter to not disrupt other people. But it's really hard. If it turns out to be Jack the Ripper, it'd be amazing. What a twist. In the oh, sweet Jesus Christ. Wow. And you know what? This is the kind of show that... Uh, it's not off the table, Shadon. You could see him go in there. I really... That's the thing, like, I don't... I do, but I don't want it to happen because there's so much about it that is just A, cringeworthy, and B, disgusting, That I and also C, pathetic. Like, uh, but that's... All traits of the show thus far. <laughs> but that's that's the thing that, like, I... Hell, have Moriarty be, like, a, an enemy of Jack... I don't know. Just don't do the obvious thing, please. I, I beg you, <laughs> don't do that. So, yeah. Oh, God Christ almighty. Um, and that's the thing, like, you know, Jack has barely been mentioned thus far. And you'd figure for someone who is doing... Again, this is the problem with the show, like, not understanding its own, like, gravity of its situation or the consequences of the events in it. Like... The, the sex workers of Kabuki Show, they are being murdered and mutilated. Maybe get on that. Maybe solve it. Maybe give it more primacy or, like, you know, presence in the show than, oh, we've already in the second episode and not it's not mentioned once. I'm not asking it form an integral part of episode two. I'm asking it just be mentioned, like, you know, as a background. Yeah. Like, we're still working on it, but thankfully no one's been killed since then. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Like, keep us abreast of it like you know keep us like you know on track of it keep putting in these reminders like you know shot chaser shot chaser that kind of thing that's just the gritty nature of kabuki cho you know murders happen and you forget about them the next day because even more shit's happening like like a like the a, nice neighborhood florist is duped oh <laughs> you know oh you know the uh the milk mascot getting drop kicks in the face <laughs> exactly but all the detectives, it seems like, well, 
I don't know about Kobayashi, uh, the Yakuza-looking fellow who is in love with um, with Fujiko. He he might be like fine in this regard, but I feel like Sherlock, the neat freak detective, uh, and probably Mary um, lack empathy, and so this is why they're basically these bounty hunter hybrid detectives and on this kind of game show thing fine but like that's sherlock's defining trait even in the original arthur and Dark books like that he is detached and he doesn't care so like we get it but shouldn't like i don't know Some, th- someone else th- yeah. there should be yeah. there should be at least someone there should be someone who like you know gives a shit like yeah, this it, is a it's... big deal mm-hmm. Right. That being such a big part of the first episode and an unsolved thing, it's like, okay, we're going to come back to this. This is an element in this world and this story that we're going to address again. But I guess they don't address it because they want the second episode to be largely funny. And yet (laughs) it's hard to like sort of fully sink into that when we know that there are these other things hovering just in the background the serial murder issue yeah here's how you do it right again incredibly arrogant but again gotta be said you know what you do you mention jack you don't mention his mo and you don't have the initial murder be the incredibly graphic mutilation of a woman's like you know this is basic shit. Like, this is basic tone and, like, under, like you know, understanding. But again, I think it speaks to a problem I've said about other stuff in the past, which is that we know awful shit happens to women, but we don't have any imagination, so we'll just throw that in because we don't, like, comprehend or care about it. Mm. Ugh. And then now at it's least, just... It hangs over as a result. Yeah, that's true. At least this episode, the crime was a little bit... You know, it wasn't like, oh, great, another brutal sex murder type thing it was uh, like a, what a you know, low bar to clear congratulations <laughs> fujiko wanted to be an idol and so that vanity that dream kind of got preyed on and that was but but it wasn't like she's vain oh she's a bad character it turned out to be really cute and kind hmm. of sweet and uh the part-time florist lady was a fun bad guy to root against yeah it wasn't bad Certainly, and I, like I say, it adapts the story pretty well otherwise. Uh, oh, we didn't close the loop on, I don't think, what we were saying at the beginning. Like, is the mystery soluble by the audience? No. Um. So, like, I think the key thing that was missing, right, is, like, knowledge that Cobra laundered his gold in this pawn shop. I don't even know if we know that this pawn shop is I next think the, to the florist. I thought, I thought the gold was stolen. We do. Me. No, we do. Because Sherlock ducks in the alley next to the pawn shop. So we know a pawn shop is there, but like, how are we supposed to know the gold is there? Because pawn shops apparently carry solid gold bullion and not like, you know... Yeah, maybe like it's some kind of even deeper space adventure Cobra reference that I'm not remembering. Like the name of the pawn shop is related to Cobra and it's like some kind of super duper inside like baseball thing which doesn't excuse it i think that puts it on over the line of being like well you're depending too much on a reference you know for an audience to make that and also common sense where it really works as well if i may say so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. let's not forget that to be honest uh yeah. all right yeah. well anyway 
Uh, I don't have much more else to add. Um, do you have anything else you want to say? Tom? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think this is a good time to start ticking off the, th- the elements I liked in the episode. Like I said, the stylistic choices and fun moments because there were there. And I just, they make me happy. They're good. But I don't think they on on their own merits are enough for me to be like, this is a good show, despite how much I in- may enjoy them, and they kind of propel me through the ride of the episode at times. It's like there's still this undercurrent of just bullshit that this is all built on top of that I can't quite get away from. But but here are some fun uh, bits. Okay, we got to talk about Sherlock's disguises. You know, I was incredible. I, I, I forgot to mention uh, that is also taken from the, the books as well. In that Sherlock is indeed an avowed master of disguise. In that, uh, in uh, Scandal in Bohemia, he disguises himself as I think a a newspaper. But I'm not. Sh- I'm not hundred percent sure. It's been a while since I've read Scandal in Bohemia. But he does disguise himself in order to get close to Adler to learn where the incriminating photographs that she's uh, holding are. So that again is part of the canon. It's not completely out there. Uh, but I will agree that, like you know. It was quite amusing to see him in that disguise, uh, even though it kind I of mean, also stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> exactly. So is is also the joke, like, in those books, is he a, a horrible disguise person? Because I think that's a funny twist. No, of like, uh, he's a quote-unquote master of disguise, as in he's the most obviously disguised person ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, no, the, milk, um, the milk carton with the face drawn on it, like... Even though that wasn't him, the fact that they thought it was because his disguises are such crap was incredible, mm. um, which led to this really funny, jazzy, Scooby-Doo-style chase scene mm. <laughs> where they're going in and out of doors, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, he's up there. But no, he's emerging from this other doorway. Uh, and it was even framed like that. Yeah. Um, it, it was great. Uh, and then the first costume he wore, like looked like basically what you'd expect like a Tekken DLC costume to look like. It was <laughs> hilariously great. Yeah. I mean, it really like did. It, like it was like, made the character creator, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a dead or alive alt skin, you know what I mean, for uh, for the for the big heavy grappler. Uh, either that or like a Macross background character. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't decide which, but that was an incredibly great disguise. Um and the jazzy chase scene we talked about. Oh, uh, the DVD player screensaver in uh, in the <laughs> pipe cap bar. Did you? I wasn't paying attention to that. I okay, I missed so, that one. You've owned a DVD player or Blu-ray player, yes? That's not your PlayStation. Uh, way back when, yes, when I still had hair. Okay, so, so that was that was like ten thousand years ago. Did it have a screensaver? It did actually. Yes, you're right. No, you're right. It's the thing that bounces around like it bounces off the corners. <laughs> and whenever it hits a, a, a corner of the screen, not only does it bounce, but it changes color, the logo. And the fact that they had that, it just made me like I died. It's like, wow, they have brought back this like late 90s, early aughts silliness, the screensaver. Why, why have they done this? <laughs> it's just, uh, it made me smile. Um, but uh, so yeah, those are my those are my little fun, little fun moments that I enjoyed in the episode. I, I'll tell you a thing that I hated a lot though, that we haven't talked about, and it's uh, uh, 
continuing from episode one, the misogyny from Sherlock, uh... his, un- his uncomfortable behavior towards women. Um, you know how he was uh, kind of manhandling and groping, uh, not groping, but just like uh, very disrespectful to the Sayuri. lady who worked at the the Rose, the White Rose. But Sayuri, in this episode, that uh, uh, lovely little joke he tells when he's doing the Rakugo at the end, like, uh, what uh, what do uh, a bank robber or someone who's just committed oh, a bank robbery God. and an idol on the casting couch have in common? Yeah. They're both about to get screwed. I'm like, oh, ho, ho, ho. who thought that was a funny joke? It was like it's, it was written so by, bad. Like that works if you are like you know, if you're red lesser media basically because that's part of their like skin. Even then, people might not care for it. But like Sherlock, like you're meant to be like you know completely clinical. What the fuck, man? <laughs> Just, yeah, he's when he's in Rakugo mode, he is uh, full silliness. Uh, and but this is um, this was just it was bad. It was dumb. It was um. It's just a bad look for him with it sort of combined with how he treated the hostess in the first. I feel like this is going to be like a running thread. And uh, I don't know. It's not fun. It's not uh, entertaining for me. If other people are absolutely in love with it and they're just like, oh, man, Doc, shut up. I love these these shitty jokes about women. Like, oh, my God. Like, what's the matter with you? Why are you so offended? These jokes are great. They're incredible. Then, like, you know what? Okay. All right. Sure. That's... Then this show is for you, and it's not for me, and we can agree to disagree, and uh, that'll be that. And, uh, you know, go for it, man. Enjoy the show uh, on a a deeper level that I'm able to enjoy it. That is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, we're only two episodes in, so I'm going to try and restrain my overall feelings as much as I can. But, like, even beyond all the questionable stuff we've, we've... had so far like i don't get this show's purpose i don't understand what it's trying to accomplish does it want yeah. to do comedy does it want to do mysteries does it wants to do both does it want to you know like have fun playing around with the sherlock characters as we've known them from the past and do different things with them? because i'm genuinely i genuinely don't think there's a clarity of purpose to this show like i don't get who it was made for why it was made because, again, if you're bringing in Sherlock and all of his, like, characters and, you know, all of the elements, even adapting the stories wholesale, you've really got to bring something new to the table here because he's been done a thousand times before. And mm-hmm. I'll credit the show with this, that it is bringing certain stuff that's new to the table, like the Rakugo or Mary. That's good. Sure. Yeah. But it's not enough. No. 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 So, uh, Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I only if... I only brought that joke up uh, just because I felt like I, I didn't want to rehash the entire thing that we talked about last week because I mean all that is still present, but I felt like that was like a new kind of ratcheting up of the ew, why are you going there show? <laughs> you know, just like you know you were talking about the the continued Ms. Hudson X Watson bits. I felt like this merited a mention and i will try uh for the sake of our listeners to not repeat myself and and only bring up these topics when the show treads on you know new awful ground and and clears 
lower and lower bars <laughs> of mm. shit. <laughs> I, I hope it does get better similarly, though. I hope it finds its footing. It might, you know... It of course. Mi- it might. Well, um, all that aside, I think it's probably a good time as any for us to get to the patron questions. So we have two, and both of them come from uh, the lovely Kate Rose. So we'll start with the first one, and they say as follows... So this might be pointless, but can you talk about why Sherlock kicked Watson out and then why he was let back in? Um, I have two answers for this, and this actually was something I was going to mention before, but I kind of forgot. Uh, Watson moves into the room next door to Sherlock off-screen between episodes. Mm-hmm. And I have a kind <laughs> of a problem with that, because again, it's just like, you know... The very first episode, you know, like, that was their introduction to each other. And now they're suddenly almost rooming together, even though, like, as I mentioned in the previous episode, the very first story that the two working together was them, like, you know, getting to know each other. We seem to have skipped that, which is mm-hmm. a bit weird. Um, Maybe they don't want to bother doing that because it's not really a heavily character-driven thing, and I can kind of understand that given what the show's done so far. Um, the reason I bring that up relative to why kicking him out and laying him back in again uh, is, again, because the show doesn't seem to really want to delve too deeply into this kind of stuff. Um, I understand why Sherlock kicked Watson out, because he is a liability. Uh, right. Let's be honest here. Uh, and he's, and However, like I think that it's worth noting, and maybe this is something that actually might be interesting to talk about the show, is that it's noted at the start of the episode by Mr. Hudson that Sherlock doesn't really care for money. He just wants the the joy of solving a case, you know, the intellectual exercise that provides. And so I think that maybe the reason he kicked Watson out is not so much like, you know, because of any monetary loss that might have happened had Mary and her sister got the uh, uh, the winnings first. But rather because it deprives him of the opportunity to solve it himself, like, you know, the intellectual challenge it presents. So maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, yeah, I... My reading of it was just, like, he is a... He's a Freudian term, anal sort of mm. person. And despite him living in squalor and, and filth in his uh, apartment he has very kind of strict rules and guidelines for his own behavior and for people he uh, allows in his life. And Watson immediately upon being let in broke one of those rules. And so Watson, I'm sorry. So Sherlock kicks him to the curb and, uh, and I think he just, you know, let him back in because uh, I mean, what are you going to (laughs) do? He saved your life. (laughs) <laughs> Cobra would have shot him dead, uh, Sherlock. If considering not for what, Watson, considering Watson nearly killed him previously, though, I think we'll just call that. Neat. <laughs> but what's really funny is yeah, I don't think he knows. No, what's the great the great detective doesn't even realize that. <laughs> and nearly that in itself is quite funny. I will grant. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I think that maybe there's a hint there of why, which is you know like you're going to cost me the, you know the intellectual challenge. You you've almost ruined it for me. But this show doesn't seem to want to present itself as like a deep character exercise. So I'm not sure if I ultimately can go with that reading and or just maybe find it internal. But then again, you know, art is, you know, once it's out in the wild, it's open to the interpretations of the audience and they make it their own in their own kind of way. So in this show's credit, and just to give it, you know, a little bit of a break, I will go with that. Uh, right. Next question. 
this one goes thusly. Um, since we haven't heard what Watson wants investigated, why not try your hand at making some predictions as to what it could be? Now. (laughs) (laughs) This is me. I'm going to start doing my unified Frank's theory shit again. Okay. What if I, what if I was to guess that the reason John Watson has gone to Sherlock Holmes for the case is because he's not actually John Watson, but only recently woke up to find he was John Watson and remembers a life before then. And he's like, wait, there's a Sherlock Holmes in here. Uh, that's new. Maybe I should investigate the act, like, make it meta, you know? Like, that's why we suddenly have all of these, like, literary characters employed wholesale into Kabuchiko. Like, even though they obviously, like, Mary, like, is a, you know, non-Japanese name, John, non-Japanese name, so on and so forth. Like, (laughs) why not make it meta? Why not make it that they all literally all just, like, appeared two weeks ago? I mean, you're bringing Jack the Ripper in as well, like, what? Is there an outside force that's brought them all together? And Watson's like, I was just a regular guy until I turned out my name was different on my driver's license, and I read up on it. I was like, I'm a fictional character. What's going on? Just do you think other people from British, you know, lore and history will start showing up? Oh, we're gonna see like either Liam Gallagher. No, in. it's gotta be something of the period. So I'm thinking maybe Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Okay. Um. Oh gosh! So the period is early twentieth century, or is it late nineteenth? I would I would go with that. I mean, let's. I mean, what if we had like some H.G. Wells crossovers? Like, there's the Invisible Man. Perfect. There you go. Perfect. I I I, I, I only put that out there as a wild theory uh, because <laughs> I don't have much else to go on yet. I mean, like the rest of the mysteries in this show, uh, that Watson's own is a bit undeveloped. Like mm-hmm. he's going there like to get something resolved. But now he's actually living there. Um, maybe the key question is that he maybe doesn't so much have a mystery to solve as he botched something up. Or we could go with the original theory that I joked about, which is that he's Jack. Right. That's. <laughs> that's and so it's just it's, so it's just a front, really, isn't it? You know, it's like yeah, he he wants to string him along. Um, I guess since you've taken that one, I will speculate that uh, he wants to solve. Uh, the mystery of why he's ended up. Um, well, no, no, he hasn't been kicked out of the West Side because he, he was living there until he moved himself out to. Yeah, he went there to find Sherlock, to Sherlock in the first place. Yeah, oh, that was his so original goal it, for going there. I, maybe it has something to do with, um, with the wall proper. Like maybe his mystery has something d- deeply, like at the heart of the split like he's wanting to maybe not even intentionally because he said oh weird things just keep happening to me and there ends up being like this sort of crazy and unpredictable trail from him to like the mastermind behind the wall splitting east and west japan that's my speculation who can say like i like I'm going with the meta one just because I think it'll be crazy enough to be interesting. It would be incredible. <laughs> it will be so good. That's my best guess. Uh, but I invite you all at home who are listening to give it a shot as well. Like if you've got some crazy theories on like you know why he's here, um, I-, I send them my way. I'd be really interested to hear them. And if I may be so cynical, if I may you know uh, let my glass be half empty, 
I'm going to wager that a lot of people, if they were to put their theories out there as to why, uh, you know, he needs his case solving or what his case is, the show's going to be probably more boring than that with his actual case. It's going to be something really pedestrian. <laughs> it's going to be like, why can't I fall in love? <laughs> just ladies keep canceling their dates on me, man. Ladies just keep Bizarre. ladies keep bugging me, as in literally with like you know electronic spying devices. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> they do keep bugging him. That's good. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! Well, well, that I, brings us to the end. Yeah, I think that we're probably done here. Um, boy, uh, this one turned out to be even more negative than I intended it to well, be. Well, this is why I'm here. <laughs> Boy, this uh this show um it's the, the some of the seasonings are nice, but uh but the the meat being seasoned, the core of it is um not to my taste. Uh but hey, everybody, patrons, thank you so much for listening. Uh you're getting this ahead of everyone else and uh we thank you so much for your patronage and for your questions, Kate Rose. Uh, remember, folks, if you want to ask us questions about this show or Vinland Saga, just pop in the old Discord to the questions for the stream channel. Throw us a question, and we will answer it in detail. This is one of the benefits you get uh, by being a member of our Patreon. It's the $3 tier. There are three uh, budget-friendly tiers, so go on over to patreon.com slash Check them out. $5 is the top. We wanted to offer an option that uh, is is not expensive financially and, and gives you everything uh, that we're putting out. Uh, we think it's pretty good value for money, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. And uh, But if you can't support us financially, um, feel free to give us a like, a subscribe, a follow, a review, a share on like Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Twitter. If you Google Watery Death Show, we're going to be on those places. So, uh, yeah, um, just take a moment and help us out. We would sincerely appreciate it. And, uh, Shadon, if people want to contact you specifically, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Shade and Ted Ted on Twitter, and I also have a Curious Cat under the same one, uh, same name. So feel free to drop me some hot questions, like, you know, about my life choices and all the horrible decisions I've made throughout. Or, you know, just... Ask me if you want to buy me a beer. I mean, I'll accept that. Is there like, you know, beer.fi? Maybe I'm going to set those up. You're not buying me coffees, you're buying me pints. Uh, but no, yeah, feel free to ask me anything you like. Uh, even questions of a cynical political nature, and I'll be equally cynically political back. <laughs> they need to start a pi.nt just for you. Oh. Um, Ooh. So, uh, yes, and if you'd like to, you know, bother him about wallpaper, please do. No, um, that's 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 the line. <laughs> mm. I've had enough of that to last me uh, like three lifetimes never mind you know what I'm currently in <laughs> well uh, I am on Twitter as well at the subtle doctor uh, follow uh, for occasional statements about life and such um, that's going to be it for uh, this week's second stream we hope that you uh, have enjoyed our trek through Kabuki, uh, Kabuki Cho. I almost did it there. Uh, and we hope that you will be back next week uh, for more. Until then, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. But why was there a fish on the bed? God damn it, I'm never going to be able to...